You are listening to the Sunnybrook Community Church Podcast. To learn more about Sunnybrook Church, including our Sunday gathering times and opportunities throughout the week, visit us online at sunnybrookchurch.org. Today's talk comes from Pastor Jeff Mose. We're in a series we're starting together entitled, Who Needs Christmas? This morning we're going to talk about the fact that the world needed Christmas. Next week we're going to talk about the fact that God needed Christmas. And then as we gather together on Christmas Eve and the day before, we're going to talk together about the fact that you and I need Christmas. Now as we begin, here's what I want to say about the Christmas story. Isn't it true that the Christmas story is so amazing, so miraculous, that the truth of the matter is many people don't believe it? We look at it for some direction and we begin to recognize that it's very possible somebody just made it up, that it's a myth in order to give Jesus some street cred. But I want you to know that that isn't true. I want you to see that even though it is recorded in Matthew and then again in Luke, even though it is dismissed completely by both Mark and John, and a lot of people have made a lot about it, I want you to know it's still true. But what I want to show you today is this, this Christmas story does not begin in the book of Matthew nor in the book of Luke. The Christmas story begins many years before. It doesn't start with a couple wondering how in the world did we get pregnant. It starts actually with a couple who thought to themselves, we're never going to get pregnant. It doesn't start with a couple who is thinking, where in the world are we going to have this baby? It starts with a couple thinking, we'll never have a baby. And I want you to see the miraculous story of the Christmas season that actually begins way back in the book of Genesis. It doesn't start with an angel and the announcement. It actually starts with the promise of God in Genesis chapter 12. It begins some 2,000 years before the coming of Christ to this world. It actually begins in a promise that God made in the book of Genesis in 2090 B.C., most scholars say. The book of Genesis, you will know, is the history of the Jewish people, the nation of Israel. And if you know anything about the Jewish people, they were incredibly meticulous to take every single word of their history down. If you know the Essenes in the Qumran schools, you recognize the work that it took in order to make sure it was accurate. Eventually, the Jewish history becomes a part of the Old Testament that eventually we put with the New Testament that becomes the very word of God. But here's where I want you to see this story starts. It actually starts in Genesis chapter 12. And I want you to see that God begins to talk to Abraham and he tells Abraham, go from your country, your people and your father's household to the land that I will show you. Now, I have no idea why God chose Abraham, any more reason that I know why God chose Mary or Joseph or why God would choose you and I, but he did. And he comes to Abraham and he says, I want you to leave everything that is familiar to you. And this is a big deal in this day and age because their safety was found in their family. It's found in their clan. It was found in their tribe. It was an incredibly violent day and age the Old Testament was. And so in order to kind of keep themselves safe, they kept together as a family. And now God is saying, listen, I want you to leave all of that. And the scripture goes on to say this, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. He says to Abraham, listen, I will make you into a great nation, and Abraham's got to be thinking to himself, listen, I'm 75 years of age. 
I would just settle for being a great dad, let alone a great nation. And he goes on. And I will make your name great. In other words, I will make you famous. And Abraham's got to be thinking to himself, famous? I don't have any children yet, God. In all honesty, I will likely be forgotten in this world. But the prophecy goes on and he says, and I will bless you. And those who bless you whenever curses you, I will curse. And all of the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. Now, this idea of blessing was actually a foreign thought to them. I mean, nations didn't bless nations. You blessed your family, you blessed your tribe, you blessed your people, but you didn't bless other people. Beyond that, he says, and now all of the peoples of the earth are actually going to be blessed through you, Abraham. And Abraham's got to be thinking to himself, all of the people of this earth, People of every language, people of every tribe, people of every nation, how in the world is this going to possibly be? That everybody who sort of knows my name, everybody who sort of touches me is actually going to be blessed through me? This was not a day and age of blessing. This was a time when nations would conquer nations, when nations would pillage nations, when nations would plunder nations. This idea of somehow being a blessing to another nation was actually a foreign thought. But Abraham made a decision in his mind that he was going to trust God, that he was going to believe God, even though he didn't fully understand it. The scripture goes on to tell us, especially if you were raised in the church or maybe you're Jewish in nature, you know the Old Testament. And you eventually recognize that Abraham and Sarah do have a child. Abraham now is 100 years of age. Sarah is 90 years of age. Because they didn't feel as though God was fulfilling their promise, eventually they gave Abraham over to the slave girl Hagar, and they had a son by the name of Ishmael. But this was not God's promise. But eventually God comes through, and to Sarah he gives this little baby known as Isaac. The very promise of God. And Isaac, you will remember, if you walk through the Old Testament story, has two sons. What are the names of these two sons? The names are Esau and Jacob. So it makes sense to me then we ought to see Esau in the line of Isaac and Abraham, right? No. Because this family was incredibly dysfunctional, and so Jacob makes a decision. He's going to steal his father's birthright, his blessing, ahead of his brother. If his brother had received the blessing, we would see Esau in this lineage, but instead we see Jacob because of the dysfunction of this family. Abraham, you remember, eventually called Sarah his sister because of his dysfunction. You're going to see all sorts of dysfunction in this family. If you think your family, as you gather together in Christmas, is a little bit strange, I want you to know it's been true all throughout biblical history. And now Jacob, I want you to see, has 12 sons. Ten of them, though, cannot stand the youngest son. And what is the son's name? His name is... Joseph. But his brothers are so jealous of him that eventually they beat up Joseph. They throw him into a cistern, into a pit, and they make a decision. Because of the dysfunction of this family, what are we going to do? Are we going to kill him or are we going to sell him? And finally, somebody comes up with a bright idea. Hey, let's just sell him. I mean, if we kill him, we're not going to get any money for him, so let's sell him. You know the story. Eventually, because of famine, they make their way to Egypt. 
In fact, that's where the nation of Israel begins to grow there in Egypt. They're all beginning to become bigger and bigger as a nation. The descendants of Abraham are growing into this larger and larger group. But in all honesty, they're not a nation of blessing because they're a nation of slavery. They don't feel blessed themselves. How is it possible for them to be a blessing to other people? So there in the captivity of Egypt, God eventually sends a deliverer. His name, you know, is Moses. And Moses goes before Pharaoh and he says, let the children of Israel go. And eventually after they enter into these 10 plagues, Pharaoh lets them go. They make their way to the edge of the Red Sea and God parts the water and they're able to make it across the other side and he drowns the armies of Pharaoh. There stands Moses, the leader of the children of Israel. He walks them into the promised land. Joshua takes over and now there they are against the Canaanites. People, this is a violent time in the Old Testament. It's one of the reasons we don't like to read the Old Testament, isn't it? Because there's all sorts of violence and all sorts of bloodshed, and the Canaanites didn't feel that somehow the children of Israel were a blessing to them. They felt as though somehow they were an opponent to them. But you and I are living on this side of Christmas as you and I see it, but it is part of the story how God moves his children along. And eventually, as they begin to form this nation in the land of Canaan, they decide that they had been there for a thousand years, they had grown. Now only are they not a family, now they're a nation, now they're a kingdom, the kingdom of Israel. And the inhabitants of the nation of Israel wanted a king more than anything else, so God sends along Saul, he is their first king, but this is not a man whose heart is after God. So eventually, they raise up another king, what's his name? His name is David. David has a heart after God, and David is this warrior king. And he has the ability to somehow enter into treaties with other nations. He brings peace to the land of Israel. And they begin to see this affluence, this prosperity that maybe might allow them to somehow be a blessing to the nations around them. And then David, you remember, has a son. His son is named Solomon. Solomon is not a warrior king. Solomon is actually a builder king. He asked God for one gift in his life, and the gift would be this, wisdom. And people love to sit at the feet of Solomon and receive wisdom from him. He is the one that built these wonders, these architectural structures. He is the one who built the temple because there was blood on David's hands. And people came from all over the world to see the incredible works that Solomon had done. But Solomon makes a decision that he's actually not going to obey God, and he is going to marry women of foreign nations. And he begins to worship those gods as well. And so God is faithful to cover his promise, but not the promise to Abraham, the promise to Solomon when he says, if you forsake me, and if you go ever after other gods, I will divide the nation and I will tear down the temple you built. And sure enough, this prophecy comes true. As Solomon dies, now all of a sudden the nation of Israel is torn into two. There is the northern kingdom that eventually Assyria comes in and takes captive over. And there is the southern kingdom known as Judah that was about to experience an implosion of their own. I mean, if you think about it for a moment, their armies are divided, their economy is divided, 
This is not a strong nation. This is not a nation that is blessed itself, let alone be a blessing to other people. But it's a part of the Christmas story. So God decides, here's what I need to do. I need to spend a mouthpiece, a prophet, if you will, somebody who can speak on my behalf. And he sends a man by the name of Isaiah. We read this morning from the prophecy of Isaiah. Isaiah says in Isaiah chapter 7, this virgin is going to give birth to a child, and you're going to call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. The people didn't fully understand exactly what that prophecy meant, and he went on in Isaiah chapter 9 to say, For unto you his child is born, unto you a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and he shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And the people weren't fully understanding what he meant. But now we come to Isaiah chapter 12. And the prophet Isaiah is the spokesperson for God. God says, and I will make you a light for the Gentiles. Now the children of Israel going through all sorts of difficulties, woes, struggles of their own life, had to be thinking to themselves, listen, a light to the Gentiles? We can't even light up our own life. How in the world are we going to light up other people's lives? And sure enough, it wasn't long after this prophecy that the king of the Babylonians by the name of Nebuchadnezzar actually comes into Jerusalem. He breaches the city walls and he destroys the temple and he sets it on fire. Here are the children of Israel clinging as much as they can to the promise that God made to Abraham that somehow they're going to be a great nation, that somehow God is going to use them to bless others, that somehow God is going to allow them to be alive, but they were anything but that. So now God sends another prophet. The prophet's name this time is Malachi. And as this prophet or this mouthpiece and spokesman for God actually begins to speak, the people had to be thinking to themselves, God, do you really mean this? I mean, are you just trying to prop us up? Are you just trying to make us feel better about ourselves? Because all of the things that you say that are so good about us, we don't see any of it come into fruition. I can't hardly believe the prophet Malachi. But God speaks through Malachi, and he says to them, listen, my name will be great among the nations. Can't you imagine that the children of Israel saying, your name is anything but great among the nations. Your name is a laughingstock among the nations. People mock the very name of our God. Are you kidding me? That somehow you're going to be worshipped through this world? Do you recognize that people don't want to worship you because you can't take care of your own children? That we're here in captivity? That people are overtaking us? We can't feed ourselves, care for ourselves? There is no possible blessing in this. God, are you just saying meaningless words? But it goes on in the prophecy to say, and my name will be great among the nations from where the sun rises to where it sets. This is a common idiom for one end of the world and to the other. My name will be great among the nations from one edge of the universe to the other. I am going to be honored and proclaimed and worshipped. And then he says this. In every place, incense and pure offerings will be brought to me because my name will be great among the nations. In other words, everywhere you go, I will be worshipped and honored and glorified for who I 
am. People, it wasn't long after the prophecy of Malachi that we come to 63 B.C. And the Babylonians had already taken over the nation of Israel. The Assyrians had taken over, and now come the Romans. And one of the leaders of the Roman army was a man by the name of Pompey. And Pompey actually goes village to village, destroying everything around Jerusalem. Then eventually he makes his way to Jerusalem. His armies were able to breach the walls. And historians tell us that he did something that was incredibly offensive to the Jews. He actually rides his horse all the way up the southern steps to the Temple Mount. And all along the way with a sword, he is slaying the priests one after another. When he gets to the temple, he actually dismounts his horse. He makes his way into the temple, into the Holy of Holies. He tears down the curtain, and he opens up the Holy of Holies, and he recognizes there is no idol there. They don't worship anything. They're missing an idol, and they didn't understand that because all of the nations had an idol that they worshiped, and they made mockery of our God because he wasn't present. Can you imagine for a moment what is going on in the life of the nation of Israel? Hey, we have been holding out for this promise that you made to Abraham that somehow through him all of the nations would be blessed. We're holding out to this promise that somehow we would be even a light to the Gentiles. We're holding out for this promise you made to Malachi that somehow your name would be honored and glorified and worshipped throughout this world. We see none of it. In fact, in all honesty, we see just the opposite. It doesn't feel like you've blessed us at all. We can't light up anything around us, and we certainly are recognizing that your name is not worship, it's actually mocked. We come to the Apostle Paul in the New Testament in Galatians chapter 4, and you're going to begin to see that the Apostle Paul, looking back, sort of as this Jewish scholar, if you will, recognizing that he was a Pharisee himself. He raised up in an understanding of the law. Now looking back on all that has happened in the Old Testament, Paul begins to pen these words. When the set time had fully come, God sent his son. When the set time had fully come. In other words, when God had everything exactly as he wanted it to be. When there was a common language and a common culture that everybody spoke, when there was a highway system that had been created from Rome to every other part of the world, when all of a sudden they had connected all of these seaports that had major populations in them, when everybody from the nation of Israel had come to the end of their hope, living in despair, when the time had fully come, when it looked on the horizon as if everything was absolutely hopeless, what happens? Well, we read about it in the book of Luke chapter 1, that an angel comes and says, greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. And the nation of Israel has to be thinking to themselves, the Lord is with us. It's felt like years, like centuries, since the God's favor has rested with us. Many Catholics think this is somehow a blessing from the angel Gabriel. It's actually just a greeting. 
And who is he greeting, this very person that we tell the story every single Christmas? We're telling the story here of Mary and Joseph. And Gabriel comes to Mary and he says to her, greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. And then he says, Mary, you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son and you are to call him Jesus. We're going to talk about that name in weeks to come. And then he goes on to give this prophecy, he will be great and he will be called the son of the most high. The Lord will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. And they had to be thinking to themselves, much like Abraham, hey, listen, I don't think this is ever going to come true. I'm not sure, God, that this is even going to be possible. But the very promise that he had made to Abraham is now coming to fruition in Jesus Christ. Sure enough, through Christ and his finished work on the cross of Calvary, every single person that touches him receives Christ as Savior and Lord. Their lives are radically changed. He becomes a light to the Gentiles, not just Jewish people his own, but he actually emanates his life to the entire world, and people are saved. And in the name of Jesus, every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess, and he is going to be worshipped forevermore. Isn't it true if you think about the blessing that God had promised through Abraham, he is now fulfilling through Jesus Christ that you and I have been blessed, that in this Christmas season we recognize together every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights through the finished work of Christ on the cross. And this Christmas season, though it's COVID time, many people will gather together in the very place that the light of Jesus Christ emanated in Bethlehem because they want to worship this one who began this light that literally began to shine throughout the entire world. And here is this one, Jesus, through whom wherever you go in the world, he will be worshipped, he will be honored, he will be glorified. Who is Jesus? He is this Jewish son, this Jewish carpenter. And we gather together every Christmas and we worship a Jewish God, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, who has revealed himself through his son, and you and I worship him forevermore. Who needs Christmas? Well, the world needs Christmas. And God used all sorts of characters all throughout Scripture that now become a footnote to the greatest character of all of Scripture, Jesus himself, and what he was able to accomplish for us. Now as I close, can I just give you some thoughts from this story that I think you can apply to your own life? First of all, no matter what you're going through, can you remind yourself that God is active even when it feels as though he's not. That even though it feels as though God is silent in your life, he's often working behind the scenes. And can I remind you that the salvation that he ushers into this world is not just for people out there, it's for you. That Jesus made these promises that were fulfilled for you. Can I remind you when you think as though it is not possible for God to show up that he actually does? Can I remind you when it feels as though as if God doesn't care that he actually cares? 
Can I remind you when it feels as though nobody is listening that God listens and his promises this, everything I've said to you, I will fulfill through the finished work of Jesus Christ. I will bless you. I will bless the nations. I will be a light to you and to the world around you. And one day, at the name of Jesus, every single one of us is going to bow and worship. Some in voluntary worship, some in involuntary worship, but we'll all worship the name of Jesus. So who needs Christmas? The world needed Christmas. Let me close this with a word of prayer. Father, we're just so thankful in this Christmas season for the fulfilled promises of God. Thank you from Old Testament all the way to the New Testament who you desired for us to see and who you desired to be has been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that we might fall at his feet this Christmas season and worship him. This God who at points in times it doesn't feel like he's there is at work behind the scenes bringing things together because he fulfills his promises. Father, could you be worshipped in our lives? Could you be worshipped this Christmas season, I ask? And we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. If you were encouraged by today's talk, check out our Sunnybrook Unscripted podcast where we talk real life, answer hard questions, and take a deeper practical look at the topics we talk about on a Sunday morning. For other talks, videos, and live gatherings, rate us and hit subscribe on iTunes and Spotify. Download the Sunnybrook Church app or visit us online at sunnybrookchurch.org. And again, thanks for listening to the Sunnybrook Community Church Podcast.